Today's talk, the title is Holy, Holy, Holy. So this afternoon, I got a, a pre-sermon. I have a sermon on why I chose the title, Holy, Holy, Holy. So if you'll bear with me uh, here for a minute, that phrase repeated three times, Holy, 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 appears in the Bible only twice. Once in Isaiah, once in Revelation. Both times, it was a vision uh, of a man transported to the throne room of Almighty God. And so uh, both times, uh, the, they describe these mighty angels crying out, holy, 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 uh, and worshiping the Lord. They were actually seraphim. Uh, they were the hi a high, powerful class of angels. And uh, if we saw them, we'd probably melt. And uh, every time people saw angels in the, in the Bible, they fell down as dead, or they fell down on their feet and started worshiping in them, and the angels said, no, don't worship us. Um, so the first time that it was seen was uh, Isaiah, and then also the apostle John. And so the holiness of God is probably one of the most difficult attributes of God uh, to describe, uh, to explain, partly because that's uh, part of fundamentally who he is. And it's part of his inherent value. Inherent means it resides in and originates with him. So bear with me here. So God created us in his image. And some of his attributes we have. We have the capacity to love and the capacity for mercy and faithfulness and things like that. But there are some things that are inherently God's and we can't have them. Uh, he is uh, omniscient. That means he's all-knowing. He's omnipotent. That means he's all-powerful. And he's holy. And only God is holy. And so, uh, anyway, holiness is not something we possess as part of our inherent nature. Uh, we only become holy in relationship with Jesus. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. And uh, I just, this, this is called an imputed holiness. And we see that in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, that only in Christ do, do we become the righteousness of God. The righteousness is the outworking of his holiness. And uh, God's holiness is what separates him from everybody else in the universe. So holy, 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 repeated three times. It was, a, it was for the Jews, it was the way to, uh, it was a state of completion or absoluteness when you said something three times uh, in a row. If we said in a far, far away place, you know, we say the word far twice there to say that it was very far away. So that's just part of our language. For the Jewish people in Hebrew, uh, they would say, holy, holy, holy. That means absolute. That was the highest. That was uh, uh, more than just his essence or his purity. Uh, it was, it, holiness describes his otherness. He, nobody is like God. Nobody has his divine uh, perfection. And that's part of the mystery of who God is. And, and it's, it's an amazing thing. And it causes us to gaze and to wonder and when we, we get into his presence, get into his word, and, and, and just comprehend a little bit of who he is, that causes us to worship him. So this morning, our title is Holy, 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 the absolute holiness of God. So the Life Application Bible Commentary says this, knowing God, which is our current series, uh, God cannot be known apart from his holiness. And the key to God's eternal reign is his holiness. And his glory is not only his strength, but also his perfect moral 
character. God will never do anything that is not absolutely perfect. He only does what is perfect and just and holy and righteous, those things. So I want to read this uh, out of Isaiah chapter 6. It's the first account. I'm going to read both of them, actually. Um, when Isaiah was uh, transported to the throne room of God and when John was as well. I'm going to close out with reading that passage. So there's going to be a lot of scripture today and we need uh, God's Holy Spirit to help get us through that. All right, Father, thank you for this morning. We thank you for every good gift. We thank you for your word, your eternal word. We thank you that when we understand who you are and when we understand the, the, the word of God and get into the word of God, it leads us to worshiping you. Not worshiping the word, it leads us to worshiping you. Yeah. And God, we do want to know you. We don't want to know just about you. We want to know you. Holy Spirit, please uh, come and, and fill us this morning. Wherever people are right now in their living rooms, even with little kids running around, that's a, that's a wonderful thing. God, just, just help them to be able to concentrate or come back and listen later. And uh, we really, really want to understand the holiness of God this morning. Out of Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, this is a, a vision uh, that uh, Isaiah had. It was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. They were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, it's all over. I am doomed. King James says, I am undone. For I am a sinful man. Now, when you come into the presence of God and his holiness, your sin will become evident. That's why oftentimes you come into a worship service, people are singing, and you go, I got to take care of this thing. I really can't worship till I deal with this thing in my heart between me and God. And that's what happened with Isaiah here. He said, I have filthy lips, and I live among people with filthy lips. Yet I've seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed, and your sins are forgiven. Then I heard the Lord asking, Whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? I said, Here am I. Send me. Wow, what a great response to meet God in his holiness, to realize our sinful nature, to have him forgive us, and then to say, here am I, Lord, send me. What a, what a great passage of scripture. Man, I, I would encourage you to read that again, to meditate on that, and allow the, the wonder of Almighty God to fill your heart. So, once again, Lord, lead us as we go through this, I pray. Uh, number one, our big point number one here, he is the Holy One. Arthur Pink, who wrote a, a little booklet uh, years ago about the attributes of God, I encourage you, if you can find it, 
to, to get that book. It's called The Attributes of God by Arthur uh, Pink. He said this, only God is independently, infinitely, immutably holy. The sum of all moral excellency is found in him. He is unsullied even by the shadow of sin. That's an amazing description of his holiness. And then in Revelation 15, this is out of the King James, for you King James lovers. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. The reason I chose King James is because years and years ago during the Jesus movement, this was a popular song, straight out of King James, word for word. Uh, they sang the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou only art holy, and all nations shall come and worship before thee. For thy judgments are made manifest. All nations will come and worship before him. You know, the pictures of heaven that we see in Revelation and throughout Scripture, there's people from every nation, every uh, kindred, every tribe, every tongue. And a lot of times this present day world wants to make us all one. And God never intended us all to be one. He intended us to have some flavor and some color. He created diversity. He created all these things uh, so that every nation could be represented. Celebrate the nation and the ethnicity that God birthed you in uh, because he created you that way. That is just, man, that, that is so awesome. So John Piper says this, God's holiness is his complete and utter uniqueness distinct from all other beings in his infinite and absolute worth and beauty. Those are the things to ponder. If, you know, I'd encourage you, if you don't have this, to download the notes. They're on the front, not the front page. Go to sermons. Go to the website, westsideinfo.com. Go to sermons, and then at the very top of that page, you can download the notes and then fill in the blanks. So some people have said that God's power is his arm, uh, his knowledge is his eye because he sees everything, knows everything. His mercy is his heart. Uh, eternity is his magnitude, how big he is. But his holiness is his beauty, the beauty of his holiness. Uh, my prayer that right now while you're hearing this, because my soul is thrilled uh, to be able to even speak about God's holiness. And if he came into the room in a manifest way, of course he's here. Or if one of those angels came in here, man, we would just like, ah, like this. It would be so amazing. But it would be so terrifying at the same time to come into his presence. And so Paul says, or sorry, uh, God, you never see in, in Scripture God saying, I swear by my mightiness. You don't see that. You don't, you don't see him say, I swear by my wisdom or by my greatness. But he does say this, I swear by my holiness. He values his holiness. In Psalm 89, 35, once for all I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. Uh, he swears by his holiness uh, because it's a fuller expression or descriptor of who he is than anything else. His holiness sets him apart. He's distinct and above and beyond anything we could ever understand. And it should cause us to wonder and to be full of awe, to be awe-filled, and to worship him. Big number two. 
God's holiness is also expressed in his law. Romans 7.12, Paul says, but still the law itself is holy and its commands are holy and right and good. And so God's holiness is expressed in many ways. The Life Application Bible Commentary says, the law is holy because it reflects the character and the will of God himself who is holy. Wow. So Psalm 19, I told you I have a lot of scriptures because the Bible says this way better than I can. Uh, Psalm 19, 7 and 9, the law of the Lord is perfect. Remember his, his holiness in essence is his perfection and beauty, reviving the soul. How could the law, the, we, we view the law as, rest, as restrictive and, and so horrible and things like this, or the world might, uh, but the law of the Lord is perfect. And it revives uh, the soul. The testimony, that's also the words of the Lord, is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord, that's also what he says in his thoughts and ideas. Uh, The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous all together. I pray that you're worshiping God right now. Number three, God's holiness is also expressed at the cross. This is a big deal. It's a pivotal moment of human history. God's eternal and he transcends a time and space. Those things don't constrain him, but we are bound by time, and that's how our perception and our understanding, but the pivotal point of human history is at the cross and the resurrection of yeah. Jesus Christ. So God really hates sin. I want to tell you that. God hates sin. And um, he must hate sin by having poured out such wrath on Jesus at the cross, who paid the penalty for our sin. A lot of times we think, oh, you know, sin's not, that's not such a big deal. No, it is a big deal. Uh, Matthew 27, describing the crucifixion at noon, darkness fell across the whole land until 3 o'clock. About 3 o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me or forsaken me? So, you know, I don't know exactly what happened, but all of the sin of the world was put on Jesus. The Bible says, he who knew no sin became sin for us. And so your sin and my sin was put on Jesus 2,000 years ago. So I don't know how God did that. Did he send angels back in history and take everybody's sin from the past, put it on Jesus? Did he take angels and put it, send them all through the world at that day and take all their sin and put it on Jesus? Did he send angels into the future and take all of our sin and put it on Jesus at one time? Somehow, some way he did. I don't know if he did it like that, but he did it. And Jesus took our sin upon himself, the sin of the world. And because God hates sin, doesn't see... Uh, God cannot be in God's presence, but God will not be in the presence of sin. He, he evidently, I'm just using analogies like scripture uses analogies. God turns his back on his son. They've had perfect fellowship for eternity. And Jesus said, you forsook me. And so that moment that he hung there between heaven and earth and, and, and took our sin, he paid the price. And then all of a sudden, 
he heard the whisper from heaven, and Jesus said, it is finished. And he did that for you, and he did it for me. And that's the gospel, the good news, that Jesus, a perfect, sinless person, took our sin upon himself and paid the price, and then he rose again on the third day. He's coming back for us, folks. If you've never said yes to Jesus, please say right now, uh, yes, Jesus, I believe in you. I confess you as my Lord and Savior right now. And please let us know. Uh, we've, we've been receiving reports of people that have said yes to Jesus during this time. So God cannot look on sin or he will not look on sin. Uh, Romans 1.18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So, yeah, one sin is a big deal. Because of one sin, Adam and Eve were cast out of the Garden of Eden. Because of uh, uh, one sin, Ham, one of Noah's, Noah's sons, was, was, was cursed. And uh, because of one sin, Moses was prohibited from entering the Promised Land. That's amazing. Moses, the greatest prophet that ever lived, the Bible said. And, and he was the lawgiver, and he was the one that led millions of people out of, out of Egypt. Even he, one sin, God said, you're not going to go into the promised land because you used your tongue uh, against uh, me, so to speak. I told you to speak to that rock, and you struck it because you were angry. And uh, I told you 40 years ago that you need to use your mouth to deliver your people, and you wouldn't do it then. And you never got past that first disobedience. And you never allowed me to fix that in you. And then 40 years later, you're still using your tongue to disobey. Make sure when God puts his finger on something in your life that you deal with it. Yeah. Don't let it go 40 years like Moses because it kept him from entering the promised land. And, and because of one sin, Elisha's servant got leprosy. Uh, because of one sin, Ananias and Sapphira dropped dead. Yeah, one sin is a big deal. So... The world that we live in, people kind of view God as an in, indulgent old grandpa who just winks at us when we sin. No, but sin is a big deal. We might call it, oh, I messed up. Oh, I made a mistake. Oh, I'm slipping up. No, it's what put Jesus yeah. on the cross. That's a big deal. So Psalm 711 says God is a righteous judge. He's a righteous judge. And we're going to talk more about justice in the next few weeks. And God who feels indignation every day. And so you would not want a judge to wink at somebody who committed a sin against you or your children. You would want justice. And God is the most just person in the universe. He put that passion for justice in our hearts. Little kids go, that's not fair. That justice, that's the justice of God that's working in us. And so we would not want somebody to uh, judge to wink at somebody who did us wrong, and God did not wink at sin. Sin had to be paid for. But God in his mercy allowed Jesus to atone for our sin as a substitute for us. Isaiah 6, uh, 64, 6 says, We are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. Like autumn leaves, we wither and fall, and our sins sweep us, sweep us away like the wind. So this verse, by the way, is mainly for unrepentant people. So all righteousness is as filthy rags. But when we come to Christ, he declares us to be righteous, and then out of our love and passion for him, 
uh, because he loves us, we do right things, righteousness. Uh, he, he's not talking about that here. He's talking about people who are trying to earn their way with their righteous deeds. God goes, I don't, I don't recognize that. I only recognize what Jesus did. And when he looks at our hearts, and Jesus has washed us clean by the blood, this is all analogies, uh, God sees the blood of Jesus and goes, yeah, you're righteous. I declare you as righteous. So what is our response to this? God's holiness is his complete and utter uniqueness. Distinct from everything else is his infinite and absolute worth and beauty. His holy behavior is behavior that accords with that infinite worth and beauty. This overlaps with righteousness. So the outworking of his holiness is right uh, actions, and that's righteousness, or to be declared in right standing with God, that you've done righteously. Uh, his unwavering commitment to the highest standard imaginable, namely his glory. So, so this means when God is acting in, in a holy way, he's also acting in a righteous way. When he's acting in a righteous way, he's acting in a holy way. They're similar, but they kind of overlap. They're not exactly the same thing. And the same thing is with us. When we accord ourselves, align ourselves with the holiness of God, then we act in a righteous manner. So remember, uh, we're not called to be omnipotent. Only God is omnipotent. We're not called to be uh, omni uh, omniscient, all-knowing, or omnipresent everywhere, but we are called to be holy. First Peter uh, 1.16, Peter is um, um, repeating the Old Testament commandment. God said, uh, it is written, Peter says, you shall be holy for I am holy. And if you believe in Jesus and if you've trusted him as your Savior, I want to encourage you, this is a command for you. Sometimes we wink too often at our own sin. Our sin should grieve us. If you are upset with yourself that you sin, that is a good sign. What is a danger signal is when you start winking at your sin. Does that make sense? So, it's actually the main way or the prime way uh, that we can honor God is to live and walk in holiness and purity. Yes, he loves our patience and our faith and, and these things, but he's commanded us to be holy. That's what really honors him and, and, and is our desire to be holy and to live a holy life. So 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, uh, Paul ends this letter. Now may the God of peace make you holy. He's talking to you. May the God of peace make you holy in every way. Not just some ways, but every way. And may your whole spirit and soul and body, body, soul, and spirit, all of you, be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. So believers have to separate themselves from the wickedness of this world. Yes, we're called to love people, but we're not called to get sucked into the sin of this world. Be holy, God says, for I am holy. So, what is God speaking to us this morning? What's he saying to you so far? This was pretty hard-hitting uh, 25 minutes here, I want to say. It was, it was a little bit difficult preparing this. 
uh, because I know that I'm not holy like God is holy, and I know I desire to be. So we must constantly be getting our hearts in an in a attitude of standing before God and saying, God, thank you for what Jesus did for me. And because of that thankfulness, I want to live a holy life. I want to live a life that pleases you and represents your beauty and your distinction. Make us distinct and holy in every way. So uh, his glory is not only his strength, but also his perfect moral character. And so when God is, is, in, a holy, is in a holy way and, and the angels are singing, holy, holy is the Lord, and the glory of his robe fills, you know, his train fills the temple and his glory is like, ah, this is so amazing. Uh, and, and we can come into his presence when we're worshiping him, when we're reading his word, when we're loving our children, uh, we can uh, come into his presence and partake in that. So I want to close out uh, reading the account in Revelation when John is transported to the throne room of Almighty God. And then we'll close. Revelation 4, 2 through 11. And instantly I was in the Spirit and I saw a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. The one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones, like jasper and carnelian, and the glow of an emerald circled his throne like a rainbow. Twenty-four thrones surrounded him, and twenty-four elders sat on them. Now this is full of vivid imagery and pictures, and nobody knows exactly what all this means. So when someone says, I got it all figured out, buy my book, just be a little suspect, all right? Because nobody knows exactly what all this means. But when you read it, something inside of you thrills because you're following him and, and something in here is eternal. You go, man, I don't know what all this is, but I want to be in your throne room and worship you, God. And so uh, 24 thrones surrounded him, 24 elders sat on them. They were all clothed in white and had gold crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumbles of thunder I mean, we see lightning from afar and hear thunder from afar, but we haven't seen lightning and thunder in the same room where we are. This is amazing. Um, and in front of the throne were seven torches with burning flames. This is the sevenfold spirit of God. Some theologians say that's the Holy Spirit. In front of the throne was like a shiny sea of glass, sparkling like crystal. In the center and around the throne were four living beings, each covered with eyes, front and back. In other words, they're constantly seeing, constantly knowing, part of God's omniscience and ever-presence. The first of these living beings was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a human face. And on the fourth was like an eagle in flight. Each of these living beings had six wings, and their wings were covered all over with eyes inside and out. Day after day and night after night, they kept on saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, the one who always was, who always is, and who is still to come. 
Whenever the living beings give glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. That's the word of God, and it's just a glimpse, just a picture of the awesome holiness that is only inherent in Almighty God. 